a person's outlook on life really reveals much more about them probably than we, we actually realize. And I think most of us recognize that. It doesn't take long when you're talking with someone to know what their real aspirations and will and real aim in life is. And that reveals so much about people. And so we have to ask ourselves, how do we look at the past? How do we look at the present? And how, we, how do we look at the future? To some, and we all know people like that, nothing is ever right. And it's amazing, you know, the past wasn't right, the present's not right, the future's not right. And I think about one fellow that I knew, he's probably the most negative person I've ever met in my life, and I thought, man, how do you deal with life when everything's wrong? It's just almost impossible. And yet, even though bad things happen to other people, they stand up to the challenges of life. They're able to look at life in a positive way. Now, what is the real difference between those types of people? Well, consider with me, and let us then really, and our purpose is to stand as there are set at the feet of Paul. And we're talking about the Apostle Paul and learn about the outlook of a Christian. We want to look at what our outlook really ought to be and to consider those things. In 2 Corinthians, and though I have the verses here on the screen as far as this morning is concerned, but you probably want to open up your Bibles so you can follow along with it. And then also as we go through the text, you'll be able to pick these things up because I won't show these verses after this. There, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with verses 16 on through chapter 5, verse 1, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now in looking at this particular passage, I've chose then three lessons that we might learn from it. And the first is, we faint not. And it is interesting, he said, for which cause? We think not. We have to ask, well, what cause, Paul, are you talking about? Well, obviously, in a broad way, it is because of the cause of Christ. We think not. We don't give up because of the cause of Christ. We keep on keeping on because of the cause of Christ. But when you look at it in context, I think Paul really had something more specific in mind. Go back, and the actual context begins in verse 8. And go back to verse 8, notice what he said there. For we, are, er, for we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the 
dying of our Lord Jesus, that the life of uh, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our bodies. So within the text, then Paul looked at the persecutions that he went through. And he says, for which cause, even in the light of that persecution, even inside of that persecution, and all that Paul had gone undergone, he says, we faint not. For which cause, we faint not. Now, within this also, notice that Paul compared the outward man and the inward man. Now, to be sure, the outward man is the man of the flesh. The outward man is the physical and the material part of man. By the way, this outward man is what we have presently. It was never intended to be permanent. It is something that we have while here on earth. It's made for the earth. The inward man is the spirit part of man. The spirit part of man that is housed within this outward man. You see, that's designed to live in eternity. And that part of man is designed to be eternal. Now what will happen to the outward man? Well, he said within the text, the outward man perished. That's what's going to happen to each one of us. One day, we are going to perish. We're going to return to the dust from which we came. And that's the promise that God made in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 19. You remember after Adam and Eve sinned, God made several statements concerning sin and the consequences of it. And one of the consequences of sin is that we will work by the sweat of our brow. And from dust we came and, and we will return to dust. The outward man will perish. The inward man, on the other hand, will be renewed. Now, I found it interesting. A few weeks ago, I was talking to a preacher friend of mine. Many of you probably know him. And I, I said, well, how are you doing? And you know what he said? He said, I'm being renewed day by day. Well, he had this, mind, this passage in mind. But the question then becomes, well, how, how, Paul, are we renewed day by day? Well, look over to Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. There Paul, of course, in verse 1, he talked about being a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. But in verse 2, he said, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Notice the renewing concerns the mind, and notice the renewing concerns the Scriptures. That's how we're renewed day by day. I feel sorry for that individual that does not turn to the Scriptures and grow in it and does not read and study in the things that are necessary in order to grow. They're not being renewed day by day. And it's no wonder that so many of them fall back into the world. We need to be renewed. In the book of Colossians chapter 3 and verse 10, Paul said, And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge, after the image of him that created him. And so we are renewed in knowledge. That's how we are renewed. 
And though Paul underwent persecution, yet don't you find it interesting that in this passage, I mean, he's talking about persecution in the context. And don't you find it interesting he called it light affliction? <laughs> I mean, I, I looked at, and you have too, and have examined all the, those passages that talk about the persecution that Paul underwent. I mean, on one occasion he was stoned and left for dead. You think those people didn't know how to examine him to see if he was dead? I think he was raised that particular day. I mean, that's the kind of persecution that Paul underwent. And yet he called it a light affliction. Well, I don't think there's any doubt that many of us could look at life and we say, well, life is a light affliction. Well, yeah. I mean, most of us go through different afflictions all the way through life. When we're younger, those, different, those afflictions are different than they are when we're older. But that's what we do. We go through afflictions. And don't those, isn't it the case that those afflictions oftentimes reveal our outlook? Mm -hmm. They reveal a lot about us. I mean, let's face the facts. Instead of outlook, many of us, because of our affliction, we have a in-look. <laughs> we start thinking about self rather than about what we really ought to be thinking about. And so they affect our outlook, and they reveal our outlook. But our, but our light affliction, which is life in general, in reality, no matter what happens to us compared to what happened to Paul, it is certainly a light affliction. And though we do not think of these things as beneficial, but yet at the same time, the light afflictions are beneficial. You go out and you talk to the people of the world and the atheists, and they talk about the fact that, well, I don't believe in God because, and they use what's a, the technical name is the theodicy argument. And they say, well, if God is so loving, then why would he then make us endure these things that we have to go through in life? Well, the fact is, they look at the things that they go through and the afflictions that they have and even light afflictions that they have, and they see it in a negative way. But the fact is, it's for our learning. It's beneficial. Now, Paul, in our text, he said it is only for a moment, for our light affliction, which is for a moment. And we look back on life and we think about all the different things that we've gone through. Well, it's only for a moment. In fact, someone we were talking to this, just this past week, and they were talking about something that they had gone through at a time in their life, and they say, we almost forgot about it. And it was such a small time period in life, and they were talking about the amount of time. It was really quite lengthy in a way. But we look at those things and we see it as, as something that happened in the past. Well, it is for a moment, and it generally doesn't last for a long time. But then he said, it worketh for us. In other words, it's something that accomplishes something. It's something that is beneficial. It's, and then, so we asked, what is the benefit of it? He said, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. 
There's the benefit. Well, far more exceeding doesn't give us the full picture of the painting that Paul is painting for us. I mean, it, it doesn't show the extent of what or the, the emphasis of how Paul put it in this particular way. In this particular passage, it literally, if you would translate it in a literal way, although it wouldn't come out very well in English, but in a literal way, it's beyond far more exceeding. I mean, it's, the emphasis is that it's, it's so much better. It's far beyond. And more than far beyond, it's beyond far beyond our, our expectations. And then he said, eternal weight of glory. Now it's noteworthy to notice that the light afflictions is for a moment. It's a comparison. It's for a moment. But the glory is eternal. There's the opposite of what we're talking about here. Now, the, he says the eternal weight of glory. Well, that word weight is actually the word that's translated burden. <laughs> but you know, there are things in life that, that we carry with us. And that they are burdens in a lot of ways because we carry them with them. And we know that there are some burdens that, well, we don't want to carry them, but we have to carry them. That's the light afflictions. And so we go through life and we carry those burdens with us. But then there are burdens that come upon us that we are so grateful and so thankful for. And we all can recognize, and I think most of us, if we'll think about it for a moment, think on those things that we carry with us that we are so grateful that God has given that pack for us to carry. Well, that's the burden that he's talking about. And the actual burden itself, or the actual weight, is that of glory. Now that's, that's really the idea of honor. In other words, God will honor His faithful servants. That's what that's talking about. That we're looking for something that's far beyond exceeding. And it's eternal. But it is that glory, that honor that God will give unto His faithful. Well then, notice also... He said that we look not. Now in verse 18 he says, For we look, or while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now this is the actual statement of outlook. And that's really what we're talking about here. This is the actual statement. What are we looking at? Well this word that's used in this particular place is is not the normal word for look. Now we use look in a number of different ways, and I think you probably recognize that, that we use it in these different ways. Sometimes we'll say, well, did you, did you see that, or did you happen to look at, at it? And you say, well, yeah. And what you mean and what they're asking are sometimes two different things. And they'll say, well, did you really look at it? 
Well, sometimes we use the word look and just simply having an observation of it for a moment. Sometimes we look at the, and we examine the idea of look, and we think about it in the sense of really doing some serious examination with our eyes. And then we say to our kids, look at what I'm saying. In other words, you understand. You, you pay attention to what I'm, I'm saying. Well, this particular word here has the idea of aim or focus. And so we look at it. It actually can be translated in the noun form like the mark of a race, like the finish line. It's the same word. And so it is our aim. It's our outlook. It's the way we are focused in life. Where are we focused? And again, I think it's noteworthy for us to 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 think about is our focus an in-look or is our focus an outlook? There's a two different things altogether. Well, so look can be used in a number of different ways. And we are to look then at the things which are, are seen and not at the things which are not seen. Or the other way around. We're to look at, not look at the things which are seen and look at the things which are not seen. But, but I want to spend time in this idea of looking at the things which are not seen. Now, generally speaking, how do you see something that is not seen? I mean, you know, that's really the, the context, and that's the idea that Paul expressed there. We're to look at those things that are not seen. But how can that be? Because we're not talking about the physical eyes. We're not talking about using our eyes to focus on these things. We're talking about something that is a matter of faith. We're talking about something that is a matter of aim. We're talking about something that is a matter of focus. What are we focused upon? Are we focused upon the seen or are we focused upon the not seen? Now, the seen things are the physical, the material realm in which we live. The seen things are, are those things that, that are of this life. And those seen things are temporal. You see, it's the things that we can see with our physical eye. Those are the temporal things. But the unseen things are the eternal things. Now, that's what Paul stated in our verse and in our text. But let's take it a step further. Because when we look at the, the seen things and the unseen things, there's a real difference in our outlook. Brethren, the temporal is the short-sighted. If all we can see is this temporal world, we are short-sighted. Now, I know we can read all kinds of stories about different ones. And I remember reading not too long ago about a thief. He goes into a bank and he's going to rob the bank and he's got a name tag on. He forgot to take it off. You're talking about short-sighted. That's a short-sighted fellow. Or we read about this person or that person who gets a check on Monday 
and he has it all spent up on Monday, and he has nothing left, and he's begging people for money on Saturday. Well, that's pretty, pretty short-sighted. It is not thinking ahead and different things like that. I remember when I was a kid, there was a, a couple of boys that took a bale of hay, a couple of bales of hay, put it beside the high school, and set it on fire. And they stood around and watched that fire for a little bit, and then they took off running. But by the time they took off running, there were already people there. You're talking about short-sighted. I mean, you know, they didn't think there were any consequences of it. Well, the fact is, there are all kinds of stories of being short-sighted. But brethren, if all we can see is the temporal, if all we can see is the most boy or the most toys the boy has is the winner, we're being short-sighted. We're we're being far too narrow-sighted. If all we can see in this life is gathering the goods that we have in this world, then we're being short-sighted. Now look over with me to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses nine, uh, verse 9. Because in this particular context, God has provided for us in so many different ways. And one of the things that He's provided for us is those eight, uh, what we call godly virtues, as to your faith, uh, knowledge, knowledge, or add to your faith, virtue, and virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, temperance, patience, patience, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness, love. And we add all these things. But notice the application Peter made. But he that lacketh these things, those eight qualities, he that lacketh those things, is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. You see, he doesn't have a good outlook on life. He's forgotten the very thing that he's been purged from. And he is blind and cannot see afar off. On the other hand, those who are eternal and eternally minded are far-sighted. And to me, the example that came to my mind was Abraham. In Hebrews, the 11th chapter in verse 10, For he looked for a city that hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. You see, he didn't look for the temporary things of this world. Yeah, he was, he was looking for a fatherland. That's what the word literally means in the context. He was looking for a fatherland, a homeland. But he wasn't looking to return to where he came from, the Ur of Chaldees, he was looking for something else. He was looking for a city. Now notice, this city is described having foundation. It's a contrast between the temporary and the permanent. But the architect of this great grand city is that of God. The city whose builder and maker is God. And then the last point, we know that Look at chapter 5 and verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now Paul began the comparison in verse number 16. And it's a comparison of the out, 
outward man as opposed to the inward man. But the comparison continues on all the way through this text. It's a comparison of the outward man and the things seen in comparison to the inward man and the things not seen. But it continues in this verse also. We know that. And once again, we come to a word and we can understand that the word know can mean in a number of different ways. But in this particular case, it means we understand that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, if our earthly house of this tabernacle, well, this is a reference to the physical body. It's a reference to the temporal part of the human the flesh, the material, the, the physical part of, the, of, of man. For we know that if. Now the word if is not conditional. Sometimes we use the word if in the sense of sense. <laughs> in the sense, S-E-N-S-E. In the sense of sense, S-I-N-C-E. You see, since we know that. Since we understand that, our earthly house of this tabernacle will be dissolved. Doesn't it remind you of Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27? It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Yeah, God designed the physical material, the flesh of men to be temporary. He did not design it to be permanent. And so notice how he described then this, this earthly house of this tabernacle. He first said it is an earthly house. The word earthly in this particular case means like a sod house. Well, you know, most of our ancestors that have settled here in the Midwest, in Oklahoma and Kansas, then we look back at their lives and oftentimes their life really consisted of or their place of dwelling consisted of a sod house. They would just simply go out into the prairie, pick up the dirt and, the, and make uh, uh, mud forms and they would build up a sod house and that's what they would live in. But they also looked at it as a temporary dwelling place that they would have something else in the future. But they lived in those sod houses. That's the word that he used, a house made of soil. And once again, doesn't it remind you of, of Genesis chapter 3 and verse 19? From dust we have been, we've been taken, and unto dust we shall return. As far as this physical body is concerned, it's going to return to dust. I read several years ago about a fellow. He owned a funeral home. And he was known for his practice of being able to preserve the body. And his old hired hand had died and the hired hand requested that he be preserved. And the owner of the funeral home asked him before he died if he could use him as a model of what he could do. And so he then embalmed the fella, preserved him, pickled him basically, put him up in the corner to show people what he could do to a body of a person. I remember one time, I was riding from Kansas City down into Arkansas to do a funeral. And because of the distance, I decided to ride with the mortician. <laughs> That's always an interesting trip. 
But nonetheless, that's what I did. And, and so he was talking about all the different th- things that this particular mortuary offered. And he says that we have a vault that we continue or that we guarantee for a thousand years. And I literally chuckled out loud. No pun intended with my name. But I literally chuckled out loud. And he says, well, what's so funny? I said, well, which one of you guys are going to be around to show or to to meet up with the guarantee? I mean, if the thing leaks, who's going to be around to, to get the cash value of it? I mean, give me a break. And this old fella had embalmed his his handyman, his work hand, brother, and he put him up in the corner, but finally they put him in a closet. And a generation or two came to pass. They found this old fella in the closet. And guess what? He started deteriorating. We are created from dust. And no matter what we do, we're going to return to dust. And even the Egyptians, we discover these mummies and different things like that. But what's left of those mummies? Nothing living. And they just continue to deteriorate no matter what we do. In fact, just this past week, I was watching a a documentary and they had some mummies that they put into these little caskets and every year they would bring those little caskets out and measure this to find out what the deterioration rate is. Well, that's what's going to happen to us as far as this physical material world is concerned. That's why he called it a earthly house. It's going to return to dust no matter what we do. But then he also called it a, a tabernacle. Well, a tabernacle is nothing more than a tent. A tent is a temporary dwelling place. It's something you set up for temporary. And whether it's temporary for a season or temporary for just a few days, it's still intended to be temporary. And so it is this tabernacle, the earthly house of this tabernacle, were dissolved, would be destroyed. Well, that word dissolved is actually the idea of taking down a tent. (laughs) It's to take it down like on a permanent way. And so here it is, we have this tabernacle that houses the Spirit, the tabernacle that's just simply temporary, that we're housed in, the physical body, the flesh. But one day, this old temporal tabernacle will be taken apart and put away. It will return to the dust. But now notice the contrast. We have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Buildings, as far as this world is concerned, are built by builders. And the builder then really shows the character of the building. Now, we've all known people that think that they're builders and they build something and you are amazed at all the corners that they cut and all those kind of things and there's no surprise. Doesn't the building show the character of the builder? Obviously so. 
And anybody that has built anything know that the character of the builder is reflected in the building itself. Now, we don't have a physical building, but we have a spiritual building. The mansions that, that Jesus talked about in Matthew or in John, the 14th chapter, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me and my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have, would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whether I go, you know, in the way you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whether thou goest, but we, neither do we know the way. Now, whether thou goest is the idea of where I'm going. We know not where you're going. And how can we know the way? Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now listen to the words of Jesus. That passage that we quote so much, and we look at it, we, we, we examine. I am the way, the truth, and life. Answers the question where Jesus is going. No man goeth unto the Father but by me. So it answers that question, but it also answers the question of well, how we get there. We know where he's going, and we know how to get there. And the only way to get there is through Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Listen to what Jesus said. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He's the only way to get to the Father. And so we have this, this building of God. Then he said, a house not made with hands. It's not of divine origin, or it's not of human origin. It's really the idea of house not made with hands. It's not of human skill, but it's made by a divine designer. That's who made this house not made with hands. It is the incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away inheritance that God has provided for us. And then he said, eternal in the heavens, so that we do not miss the boat there. The house and the building are not physical houses. The house and the building are not material houses. They are spiritual houses. They're eternal in the heavens. It is in the, in the spiritual realm. Now notice the contrast then continues. You see, the earthly house of this tabernacle, or the temporal, whereas the building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, are the eternal. And so that continual contrast all the way through this particular section. But it really boils down to this. What is your outlook? What's your aim? What's your focus? Are you focused upon the right things? How do you view life? Is it a view that you've learned from the Apostle not to give up? I don't know how long it's been. It's, I became a Christian back in, well, as I like to say, 19 none of your business. <laughs> a long time ago. And there is no telling how many people I've seen come and go. They go back into the world. They faint at the least little trouble 
Is that the kind of person you are? I hope not. I hope you have some some attitude about you that you're determined for the cause of Christ, that you're determined not to faint, not to go back into the world. And then we have to ask ourselves, do you look at the things that are temporal? Are you so focused upon this temporal world that you've lost focus of what's really important in this world? The eternal. And will you understand the future dwelling place that God's provided for and will provide for His faithful? But it's only for the faithful. Not everybody's going to make it there. You see, Jesus said it this way in Matthew the 7th chapter in the Sermon on the Mount in verse 13 and 14. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be which find it. Are you among the few that's focused on eternity, or are you with the majority that's focused upon the temporal? You can only answer that question for yourself. I don't know about you. I can only examine myself. But I want to encourage you to listen to the Apostle Paul and be focused on the right things. If we can help you in any way, if you'd like to become a Christian by faith, repentance, confession, and baptism, or by a further study, then let us know. And and if you'd like to repent of sin, then we invite you to come as together we stand and sing to encourage you.